0: Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God.
1: Friendship with one another.
0: And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First,
2: please visit OKCFirst.com.
0: Today's
1: scripture comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ who though he was in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited but emptied himself taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness and being found in human form he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross This is the word of the Lord Thanks be to
3: God. Thank you
4: Thank you very much. It's good to see everybody. How's Lent going? Hopefully you have maintained your Lenten observances. If you haven't, please don't give up. If you have fallen off the course, then, then this is a great week just to kick that all back up and, and try again to enter into this very important process whereby we come to grips with the fact of how self-oriented we can be as opposed to being Christ-oriented. We come to grips with that fact, but then are given also the resources to do something about it. So if, if you have given up, jump back in there. Jump back in there. This is, again, this is not a sprint. This is a race, a test of endurance. And so my call to us today, your pastor included, is endure. Endure. It's a tough day. This is a meaningful day for me to preach, uh, but it is also my least favorite day to preach. In the entire Christian calendar, this this day is my least favorite. And let me try to tell you why. It is the day that we schedule. Every year, we schedule this into the calendar. I would call this the day of the most bitter irony. I mean, we just had a, a really beautiful processional, right? I mean, cute kids carrying palm branches. That's a beautiful thing. And, and more kids than we expected to see. I was just, Betty just said, Boy, well, that's, that's more kids than I thought. And I said, yeah, me too. Please keep paying those pledges because we got to do something with that kids' department space back there. Every Palm Sunday, I'm giving, given two batches of Scripture. The first batch is called uh, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday Scriptures all have to do with that triumphal procession, all of them. They all, in one way or another are either telling the story or giving the background of the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. I'm also given another batch of scriptures and they fall under the category of Passion Sunday. So you have Palm Sunday, but you also have Passion Sunday. And the Passion Sunday scriptures mock the people who are in all of the Palm Sunday scriptures. Because, here's where the irony gets particularly bitter, The people who were gripping, perhaps even in a clenched fist, the palm branches on Palm Sunday, were the same people who, with those same clenched fists, would be screaming later in the week, crucifying. Same people. Lent is perhaps at its sharpest during this particular week. Lent, when, when we are trying to come to grips again with our problem, our self-addiction problem. Lent is at its sharpest during Holy Week when we see not only that we are self-addicted, but we see the ramifications of our self-addiction, and we see it most clearly on Friday night. I, I hope you'll be here Friday night. I, I hope you'll be here all of the nights that we are observing the liturgies of Holy Week. So that would be obviously today, but then Thursday night in the atrium with Jason for our Monday-Thursday liturgy. Then Friday night, the tenebrae service. And let me, if you haven't ever been to a tenebrae service, let me warn you right now, that's a difficult service. Because we tell the gospel story, but we tell it truthfully. Which means at the end, on Friday night, Good Friday, Black Friday, and yes, Black Friday was a religious term before it was a a shopping term. Black Friday, it's dark. We leave the sanctuary on Good Friday, Black Friday, in darkness and in silence because finally we have seen now and we have sensed that there are ramifications when we are self-addicted, to the exclusion of Christ. It all kind of starts, though, with Palm Sunday, when when I would say we get another bit of evidence that the only thing worse than no faith is bad faith. Palm Sunday is a a terrible moment of desolation. Now, we talked about this last week, desolation, and, and we are... Uh, using the terms consolation and desolation. They are spiritual direction, spiritual friendship terms, but I think they pretty accurately capture what it is that we're working through, what it is that we're confronted by during the season of Lent. You can live life with clenched fists, or you can live life with open hands. During the Lenten season, we try to understand why it is, and how often it is that we live in a season of desolation, clenched fists, A person dwells in a state of desolation when she or he is moving away from God's presence in the world and it results in things like despair, hatred, anger, potentially even violence. That's what you do with clenched fists, right? Palm Sunday. I keep saying it. Palm Sunday is a difficult moment, but it's supposed to be. And I'm not sure that we can get all the way to the place where we want to go and need to go on Easter Sunday if we don't face the darkness of Holy Week beginning with Palm Sunday. Now, you know the story. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He is seated not on a giant white stallion. He's seated on a donkey. And he comes in and people laud his coming. They celebrate his coming with palm branches. And not just that not just that they start singing songs and one of the songs that they sing would have been very familiar to them it's actually probably familiar to us it's right out of Psalm 118 looking at Luke chapter Luke chapter 19 verse 37 as Jesus was approaching the path down the Mount of Olives a whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen that's why they were there And they sang Psalm 118, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now, you don't have to know this. This is a royal psalm meant to be sung at a parade, at a processional, when the king was coming to town. And in fact, in some traditions, they believe that the people sing their part and even the king then. Sings his part to say, Yep, yeah, I am here. New sheriff is in town. Now, let me tell you some of what they probably had in mind as they were singing Psalm 118, this royal processional song. This is the very psalm that was sung when Judas Maccabeus and the rest of the Maccabean family marched back into Jerusalem, having won a decisive victory violent military battle in about 163 BC that resulted in the Seleucids being driven out of the temple. They had desecrated the temple. They had desecrated Jerusalem. And the Maccabeans, they drove them out. And this was the song that they sang as he marched back into the temple, back into Jerusalem, Judas Maccabeus, the returning, conquering military hero so when they sang this song as Jesus was strolling in on the back of a donkey that really tells us all we need to know about the crowd that day it tells us what we need to know about the appetites of the crowd that day it is obvious if you sing that song in that moment that you were hoping that Jesus would be the second coming of Judas Maccabeus This is how they wanted to be saved. This is how they wanted to be saved. Hey, how do you want to be saved? How do you like your Savior? (laughs) Right, Aren't aren't we sort of used to being asked that question? How do you like? How do you want? How do you want your eggs? How do you want your burger? How do you want your steak? How do you want your hair? You can design and build your own car. You can design and build your own home. You can design and build your own reputation on Facebook, apparently. How do you want your Savior? How do you want salvation to go? The consumer's seat has become a throne, right? And it's not always bad. But it's bad when you and I start to believe that we can, as consumers then, now watch this, and I'm not sure this is a, a thought that we think consciously. I do think that subconsciously this creeps in all the time. That consumer seat is bad when we think that somehow by sitting in that particular throne that we can remake God in our own image. A God that would then suit our tastes and wants and desire. Have you ever known yourself to try to remake God in your own image? With a closed, clenched hand, the people wave their palm branches and put their messianic opinions on full display. (laughs) What messianic opinions am I putting on full display? What messianic opinions are you putting on full display? Because the moment that people know that you're a Christian, the moment that people know that I'm a Christian, we are giving them some particular rendition of Jesus. We're giving them some rendition of how it is that we understand a Messiah to operate. We're giving them some idea of what salvation, at least in our minds, is supposed to look like. Bad day. Fearing a violent response from the occupying forces of Rome and believing Jesus to be a pretender to the messianic throne, the Pharisees are loud in their protest. They say, teacher, you need to tell these people to quiet down Someone's going to hear this. And of course, Jesus says famously, yeah, if I tell them to be silent, the rocks are going to start crying out. So Jesus knows who Jesus is. Jesus has some idea of what this label Messiah means. But I think Jesus also knows that they don't know what Messiah means. And I got to keep bringing it back to us. Again, this is the most painful week of Lent. Do we know what it means to be saved by this particular Messiah? What are our expectations where his posture is concerned? And does his posture matter where my posture is concerned? So we have the parade. But then just a few days later, (laughs) y'all, the crowds turn on Jesus. Now, we know that many would abandon, even those in his inner circle are going to abandon him. But these crowds, many in these crowds, their fists still clenched, are furious with Jesus. And let's ask the question now, why are they so angry at Jesus? Because they are big mad at Jesus, right? You can see that, right? Why are they so angry with Jesus? What had Jesus done to deserve all of this? Why did they target Jesus after welcoming him him as a hero just a few days prior? I tell you what else, Herod and Pilate don't really know either. They're asking the same question that I just asked. Then the assembly rose as a body and brought Jesus before Pilate. And the people, the mob, began to accuse him, saying, we found this man perverting our nation, forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor, which was an out-and-out lie, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. And we all know that Rome doesn't like competition. We all know that the Roman emperor doesn't like anybody else who fancies himself a king. Verse 3, so Pilate asked Jesus, so are you the king of the Jews? To which Jesus responded, I didn't say it, you said it. Pilate, though, is unimpressed, and he said to the chief priests and the crowds, I don't see any reason for this accusation that you bring against this man. But the crowd, the mob now, insisted and they said, yeah, but he is stirring up the people by teaching throughout all Julia, from Galilee, by the way, where he began. And even here in Jerusalem, when Pilate heard this, he said, Uh-a oh, Galilean? Then this may not be my problem. This may be Herod's problem. And so he shuffles Jesus off to Herod, the Jewish puppet king. And Herod was fine with it. When Herod saw Jesus, he was glad because he'd been wanting to see this Jesus for a long time. He'd heard all the stories. And so now he wanted to talk to Jesus himself and see what all the hubbub was about says here in verse 9 he questioned Jesus at some length but Jesus apparently unaware that this could have been his moment gave no answer the chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him verse 11 even Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and they mocked him Then he put an elegant robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. By the way, it says here that Pilate and Herod, who apparently had been enemies up to that point, now became friends, uniting (laughs) in this particular situation. Isn't that strange? Jesus bringing people together. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the leaders and the people. and He said to them, look, you brought me this guy as somebody who was supposedly perverting the people. And I've examined him in your presence. I questioned him publicly, and I don't find him guilty of any of your charges that you bring against him. And neither has Herod, by the way. Herod just sent him back to us. This man, this Jesus, has done nothing to deserve death. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll have him beaten publicly within an inch of his life, and then I'm gonna let him go. You would think that that would satisfy somebody. But here's what they said. All the people shouted together, away with this Jesus. Release Barabbas for us. The narrator in the story tells us about this Barabbas. Barabbas was in jail because he had attempted a coup. He was a revolutionary, an insurrectionist, but not very good at it. I mean, he'd murdered somebody in the process, but he hadn't been very successful, so he was in jail. And and watch this, everybody. The people preferred Barabbas, the failed insurrectionist murderer, to Jesus. Why? 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 The angry mob chose to have a murderer, a failed revolutionary, over the one who led with love. All parties involved believed Jesus to be a threat now to their reality. The ruling council believed Jesus to be an insurrectionist with the following, and they were worried because of all the noise that Jesus and all those folks were going to generate. They were afraid that Rome at some point would come stomping in and just squash the whole thing. By the way, they would at some point. But the angry mob also believed Jesus to be a threat. Now, I kind of hope that we as a faith community will at this point start to wonder if we have more in common with the mob or, or with Jesus. The mob also believed Jesus to be a threat to their beliefs about how things should change about how leaders should lead, about how power should be used, about how battles should be won. The people aching for change didn't have time or patience for a revolutionary that would lead with love. (laughs) They wanted a strong, scary, violent leader. After all, everybody knows that's how things change, just ask Judas Maccabeus. And watch this. The mob didn't just choose the other guy in Barabbas. They insisted that Jesus be killed, publicly humiliated, executed. By the way, the name Barabbas actually means son of God. Barabbas, which just adds to the bitter irony of this whole circumstance Because here's what happens. Pilate steps up in front of the people and says, do you want this as your son of God? Or do you want this as your son of God? Do you want the very embodiment of clenched fists in Barabbas, the murderer? Is this who you want to be, your son of God, your leader? Or do you want the publicly humiliated, weak, largely silent, Jesus, which one do you all want in a leader? I mean, do you, another way to ask it is, how many of us trust Christ-styled, shaped leadership? Pilate, verse 20, still wants to release Jesus. He still wants to. And so he says to the crowd again, we should let him go. But they are now shouting, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What has he done? I have found in him no ground for the sentence of death. I will therefore have him beaten and then release him. But they kept at it. They demanded with loud shouts that he should be crucified. And their voices, according to scripture, their voices prevailed. Verse 24, so Pilate gave his verdict that their demand should be granted and he released the man that they asked for. The one, scripture is very, very certain that you need to know this. They released the one who had been put in prison for insurrection and murder and he handed Jesus over as they wished. Um. This is one of those moments when I wish that pews had seat belts. I I would say to you that I think this is another indication that a lot of times leadership just surfs the desires of the followers. That's why so many leaders end up being caricatures, if you think about it, caricatures of the culture's value structure or the desired or the desirable qualities within that same culture. This is why we're drawn to the ruler who exudes strength. We love strength. We want to be known as the stronger side, amen. We love the leader who tells it like it is because we too wish we could just say whatever we wanted when we wanted. We love a leader who shares our hatred for the other side. To this angry mob, Jesus is an utter disappointment. (laughs) An utter disappointment. His style of leadership is a public relations disaster, and we just can't tolerate it anymore. Love first as a campaign slogan, that dog will not hunt. But the truth is, and I would, would, I'm telling on myself as well. I'm not sure that we really today, in today's age, I don't know that we really want our leaders to love. I think we want our leaders to hate the people that we hate. We still believe that well-placed hatred is the key to change. If we can just hate that group just enough to get the right laws passed. But hatred isn't the key to change, Not, not good change. Hopefully, I don't have to remind any of us that hatred didn't save any of us. Loved it. Great. Love that we didn't deserve saved us. Love that we don't deserve is still saving us because that's who God is. That's what Jesus did and still does. Now, whether we like it or not, Jesus is going to Messiah how he's going to Messiah. (laughs) Salvation is what God says it is, and that's the way it's going to be. And all God's people said? Okay, not bad. Not great, but not bad. (laughs) Y'all, I don't think God's going to change. Right? Isn't that what we say each week? I don't think God's going to change. I don't think God wakes up in the morning saying, How can I be more like them? question is whether or not we're going to, we'll choose to be like the God we see in Jesus. Doesn't have to make sense to you for it to be the truth. Paul says it like this, but the same mind being you that was in Christ Jesus, who." Though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. Now, in some of your Bibles, that word is translated as grasped. Did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped with a clenched fist. That's not who God is. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Hey, y'all, this is, is Leadership 101 in the kingdom. Not in my place of work. That could be a you problem. Emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse nine. And so God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, I mean, once you know what it is that saves you, this line makes some sense. But if you don't yet know what it is that saves you, this line will not make sense, ready? But when you know what it is that saves you, the grace that knows you and still chooses you, the grace that knows everything there is to know about you and still chooses you, That Jesus, at the name of that Jesus, every knee bends in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not your president, your Lord. That's better. To the glory of God the Father. Here's the deal. If God's not going to change, then perhaps you and I need to. We're going to be the ones that have to adjust, and, and just to be honest with you, I think we do need to be changed, transformed, rescued, salvaged, saved, and coming to grips with our need to change, that's another way to talk about and articulate the project of Lent, to own that we too have passions and desires that need to be confessed, forgiven, transformed in the hopes of making room in our lives for a Savior. But do we want it? Is that what we want? Have you ever heard that song, I'd Rather Have Jesus Than Anything?
3: Do you believe it?
4: I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Sometimes, again, I won't, I, won't, I won't take this out on you. I think sometimes maybe a better song that better, might better fit me is I'd rather have anything but this Jesus. What about you? This song, the lyrics were written by a woman by the name of Ray F. Ross Miller. Ray F. Ross Miller (laughs) would come to be the wife of a general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene, y'all. I did not know that until this week. She wrote these lyrics many years afterwards, the mother, the mother of George Beverly Shea, the mother of a, it doesn't look like it here, but at the time, a very young man who had a promising music career, but mom was just sure that that music career secular as it was 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 having him go in the wrong direction and so she handed him the lyrics of the song knowing that he had the capacity to put it to music but she also hoped that it would change his life the lyrics are pretty good here's the thing he put music to those lyrics and somehow it changed his life in fact and many of you know this better than i do Dr. Billy Graham loved that song, and he also loved this guy's voice. And so he took George Beverly Shea with him all over the world in all of these crusades. And to this day, there are people who would tell you that that guy has sung to more people live than any other person who's ever lived. And the songs that he would sing seemed always to include this song, "I'd Rather Have Jesus Than Anything." Now, listen to the first verse here: "I'd Rather Have Jesus Than Silver or Gold." Is that true? I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'll say this every once in a while when we're praying the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer belongs in a bucket of things that we do and say in the hopes that someday we'll believe those things. Like, I I am of the opinion, and, and we have practiced this at our home for years and years, and I know that we're not the only home that does, but Every day starts with the Lord's Prayer. And it's part of it's because it's, I think that as we pray, it it takes up ground in our minds and our imaginations, our subconscious even, until finally you wake up someday and you go, well, I do believe quite a bit of this prayer. <laughs> in fact, more and more and more and more to a room full of people who perhaps would better fit the song I'd rather have anything but Jesus, especially the one we're talking about today. I want to offer us the song, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. But I also want us to sing it, even if it's aspirational, in the belief that as we sing it, perhaps slowly but surely it becomes actual. Actual. So I've asked Tamara to sing it. You do remember I've asked you to sing it, right, Tamara? That You, you, you didn't remember that? Okay, well, Dr. Rieger, uh, if we could play that, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I'll sing a little bit of it, yeah. But I do want us to to think, I, I want us to give ourselves some grace here, okay? This is a high bar, this song. My suspicion is that it was a high bar when it was sung in all those different crusades. I think this is a song that you sing in the hopes that someday it would wrap around your throat. I think this is a song that you sing that in the hopes that someday it would wrap around your heart. And perhaps without you knowing it, you wake up someday and you go, I do want this Jesus. Maybe even more than anything. But I do want us to start here the first day of Holy Week, the last Sunday of the season of Lent. I do want us to all practice just enough courage to know whether or not (laughs) there's an ounce of truth in it for us today. Not so that you won't sing it, but so that you know what you're doing when you do.
3: I'd rather have Jesus than sing. So the table
4: will double as an altar today. I I want you to come and be reminded again of our origin story, which doesn't start with you. It doesn't start with me. It starts in the heart of God for you and for me. Because I don't think you get there by sheer grit and determination. You need to work at it, but I think you get there when you are swept up in the grace that knows you and chooses you anyway. And that's what we do around this table. If you are going to help us, please come. Help us set this table. And Heavenly Father, as we come today, will you bless these elements? And with them, God, will you shape us by this profound grace-filled truth? Maybe a step in that process, though, Lord, is that you would remind us today, as we partake of broken body, and shed blood, maybe you'd remind us today how far short we fall of Christ-styled, Christ-shaped leadership. You would help us to recognize that in ourselves, perhaps we don't even want a leader like this. Perhaps we, like the mob that day, are just not convinced that this is the way things change. God, would you... Would you help us? Would you help us to listen to you as you point out how far we have to go? Would you also help us to hear that you are committed to every step of the journey with us? So, in a moment, all of you who would like to make this particular step are going to be asked to come forward. If you are visiting with us today, we take communion around here by intinction every week because we feel like weekly we need to be reminded of our origin story and the ramifications of this story. So you'll be dismissed by row, by the people standing in the aisles. And as you come down and approach the person holding the bread, I hope you'll do so with your hands open. Open hands. When you get to the person holding the plate of bread, that person will take a piece and press it into your open hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. When you do dip it into the cup, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then take and eat. And then, church, find a place to pray. You can go straight back to your pew and pray. God will hear those prayers. If you'd like to come to one of these side healing altars, somebody will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing. Perhaps it's a physical thing. Perhaps it's a mental, emotional, familial, or relational thing. But we'll pray with you. But I hope somewhere in the sanctuary you'll find a place to pray. God, Just what would I rather have? (laughs) Anything but you or you over anything. And even if the answer is the wrong one, people, you can make the first step today. So on the night that he just betrayed that our Savior took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. same way he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me, who is welcome at the table today? All of us, me included, who understand our need for grace, we are all welcome at this table. All are invited, but none are compelled. If you'd rather sit this one out, that is perfectly fine. If you'd rather not come down, if you would rather have some of these prepackaged elements, that is absolutely fine as well. The people in the aisles have some. As soon as you get it, it's been blessed. Go ahead and take and eat and please pray. If you'd like to make a special trip down here to dip your hand into the baptismal font here, just to remember that you do in fact belong to this particular God, that's a good trip. And I would encourage you to take it if you need to be reminded. But all are invited. And so now across the room, if you would, as you are dismissed, stand to your feet and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God. I know some are still coming. I am going to start the confessional prayer here. And I would encourage you to pray. I encourage you to pray. Heavenly Father, hear us now as we pray, as we start with confession, as we own that we are not yet where we need to be. We are not yet who you want us to be. As I get out of the way here, perhaps you have your own confessional prayer to pray. As God brings to mind what it is that you're struggling with, pray your prayer of confession. can see Mindy is over here at this kneeling altar and this is her last Sunday with us for a while if you would like to join her in praying something of a prayer of commissioning and you're certainly welcome to do so Father do bless Mindy as she goes may she be constantly reminded of her connections to this place of our love for her May she always understand this to be home. But may she find people like-minded, like-hearted people there in Washington. People who can continue to encourage and nourish her, to give her another sense of belonging and connection that we all need. Bless her and bring her back to us as soon as possible. Now, before I hand this over to Jason, hear this prayer, may the God, may Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us all of our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Spirit, keep us
2: in eternal life. Jason. Our prayers of intercession are going to be a little bit different, and Part of it's gonna be on the screen in front of you. I'm getting text messages from Debbie McCulloch who is serving in Ukraine. And I look forward to sharing some more of that. Pastor John asked if she might send us a little video of her work this morning. She just returned back to Poland. But would you pray for Debbie as you watch this video of her message to us?
1: Good morning, we're here. In uh, Medica we've crossed over we're on the Ukrainian side came to meet with some partners here this morning about medical care on this side and uh, just you don't have to be here very long before someone approaches you for help we just spent about 30 minutes trying to help a Ukrainian grandmother get out of the city wanted to go back to Lviv. There are no buses going that way. She didn't speak English or Polish. She spoke Ukrainian, which we don't speak. So we tried to find help for her and went from shop to shop. And, uh, you know, just one time uh, we couldn't figure out a way. And uh, then something happened and someone pointed us to the right person. And you know, there was the waymaker, and uh, showed us to a, ca- a taxi and the taxi put her in and took her for free. When we were trying to figure out how to change money to buy her a ticket and put her in a hotel for tonight, uh, you know, a car came and whisked her away. She kissed me on the cheek and uh, we said goodbye. So God's really good and faithful. So we're thankful to be here. Uh, in medica and to see people that are uh, in need of help and receiving help so have a good day
2: that was a few hours ago and debbie just now at seven o'clock almost in poland time wrote back we are back in poland safe and sound what a day i feel like i've seen into the heart of humanity and it is good are any of you surprised that debbie mcculloch has found her way to help um, people on the border of ukraine and poland Would you say a short prayer with me before we get to hear from our kids' prayers? And during the kids' prayers, just like our kids do, would you pray for the biggest need in your life, but also the smallest one too? And sometimes it's our kids who teach us to pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the life of Debbie McCulloch, and ask God that you would surround her with your grace and love as she changes the world, life at a time. Would you be God with those who are experiencing the terror of war, and would you bring peace to our land and our whole earth? God, we ask that you would come alongside of people that need you the most. We ask that you would bless our friend Tamara Fields, and especially, God, Britt Bullerjack on our last week of sabbatical, and especially all these prayers from our children.
0: All right. Well, these are the prayers our kids have prayed, some of them. If I did them all, we would be here a long time. But here's some of the prayers that our kids have prayed over the last month. Dear Lord Jesus, hear our prayers. I'm thankful that my grandma is here to visit me. I am so thankful, Lord, that I got to go on a trip for spring break. Thank you, God, for your creation. I enjoy going hiking in nature and seeing all your beautiful work. Dear Lord, I pray for my dentist and dermatology appointment. I hope it goes well. Jesus, I pray that I lose my tooth soon. Lord, I'm looking forward to a play date with my friend and going to Jump Zone. I praise you, Jesus, that my grandma is cancer-free. Dear God, I pray for my dad who is feeling dizzy. I hope he feels better soon. Father, I pray for my brother who fell off his motorcycle and got scratches. I pray he heals up soon and that he will be more careful. I pray for my Aunt Vicki who is sick. Please be near her. Jesus, I pray for my stitches to heal and that it won't hurt when I get them out. Jesus, please take care of my mom when she gets her tonsils out. Lord, I pray that you will help me heal from hurt feelings from a friend. And now let me pray for our kids. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us your kingdom through your son, Jesus. What a precious gift given to us all. May our children enter into this holy week with their eyes and ears and their heart wide open to what you have for them. May you prepare their hearts, may they experience your incredible love, and may their love grow deeper for you. I pray now for all of our children, and I place their prayers into your loving hands, as we together as a congregation pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation